0: Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we are grateful for your gifts to us. We're grateful for what the Lord's brother, uh, James, laid down for the saints his understanding. We'd ask that we would walk with it on how to practice the Christian life. Thank you for this. In your son's name, Amen. You're welcome. Uh, this takes us through this week takes us through the end of the book of James the inadvertent series that happened to us Um, it's a section of James that is as much of James replete with verses that you quote when you're talking to someone about some subject, okay, they're called proof texts in some cases. Whether they're the ones you bring in to solidify your argument, not always bad to do because verses are good to have, or they're the verses about certain things. So you're going to run across some very common verses you know in this section through the end of the book. Um. But I wanted to keep it on track with what James is doing. At least James is doing a continuity in how he's addressing the saints. He's been concerned, we covered this the last few weeks, he's been concerned about the way Christians tend to measure what you might call the deeper walk club. He warned us last week that where bitter jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And then we stand and look at the vile practices in the church today and go, huh, why is that happening? Well, because of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. We find that the whole church, the whole society, the whole culture is moved by its passions, and we're told to avoid doing that But to live by the good deeds that God's Holy Spirit creates in us. And we went through that passage at the end of the early part of James 4, first 10 verses of Whence Comes Wars and Fightings Among You? Well, this this wasn't a, a Geneva Convention text. It was not. Um, uh, those who like peace uh, against war how to develop a just war theory it's warning us that our conflicts because I mean really what is the nature of sin in our world is that we wrong our neighbor because we do not love our neighbor and we wrong our neighbor because our neighbor gets in the way of our interests We wrong them emotionally, we wrong them possession wise, we steal from them, we defame them, we fight them in our families. That's just where sin sits, is in the the nature of interpersonal relationships. And once again, we go, why is there disorder in every vile practice? Because of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Why, why are wars and fightings existing? Because we're selfish bastards. We're into our own stuff. We want it our way. We ask wrongly to spend it on our passions. You go, Man, that's just, why does it always have to be this way at church? You know, I guard these things, my fights, my arguments with the wife, the husband, the kids, the co-workers. Can't, I mean, if I can't fight, what, what's left for us to do? We could gossip. We could be malicious. We could be... I love, uh, years ago, I don't know, two years ago, I still remember Kenny reading that passage from Peter. I, I want to remind you of it because I don't think many of you are murderers. she read this passage out of 1 Peter 4 let none of you suffer as a murderer okay got that I know that some of you are tempted Tammy Uh, or a thief maybe some of you in your teen years or a wrongdoer or a mischief maker her translation said busybody I love that you busybodies right up there with murderers and thieves. But that's where we go, right? If we can't, you know, Christianity, it's, okay, no fighting. No overt cursing one another out where there's this, or fists flying. We're Christians, we're not allowed to do that. Verse 11 of chapter 4 of James. Do not speak evil against one another, brethren. He that speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you that you judge your neighbor? Just when you thought you could walk comfortably away from the fights and the wars, I'm going to calm down, I'm not going to be in these sorts of things anymore. It's causing too much trouble, too much jail time. Bailing me out from jail is what the wife doesn't want to be doing with her Saturdays. So, no more fights. I'll just cause fights. I'll just be a mischief maker. I'll speak evil. I'll judge others. How much of our conversation is filled with us? Not being a part of the answer, but being part of the problem. God bless you if you're helping someone else in their spiritual need. We get fully around to that end at the other end of this passage. Being aware of talking something over with the saints who are going to be helping a situation. We're going to move that off the table and say, fine, you're being a ministry. But some people like to speak evil of one another. Some people make judgments of one another. And the key thing is, just like it was in the fights and the um, wars, it was a measure of who you think you are. At the end of this, in verse 12, who are you in red, in case you forget it? Who are you? On summer Bible study, was it last year we did Jonah? Maybe. A wonderful quote, when God says to Jonah, Jonah, Do you do well to be angry? Well, sometimes we say, you know, we skim over the do you do well to be angry? Who are you is the question. This is a situation where James, in order to find the deeper walk for us and help you toward it so that you don't become this Christian prig or this pretentious person or develop a church persona, those are all P words, That looks like it's, you know, keeping the rules, maybe more strictly than others. Your gossip makes you sound like you're more pious because you're obviously gossiping about other people's sin. James is defining our faith differently, he's defining how we err in this. Who are you? If you make a judgment, if you speak evil, you're setting yourself up as if you were in charge of their moral failings, and you are not. Some of you maybe even care so deeply about someone else's moral failings. You want to put your oar in, even though you don't belong there. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, it seems that James doesn't think you are someone who ought to judge your neighbor. You were denied this ability to get into fights, because that just shows what kind of person you are. Now you're denied being a halfway decent gossip, a busybody, a judge of the ungodly. You realize that, and I love this passage also in Peter, yeah, oh, where is it? I mean, it was just in Peter, wasn't I? First Peter. It's uh, chapter two. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin; no guile was found on His lips. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. But when He suffered, He did not threaten. But he trusted to him who judges justly. Jesus Christ, who's a lot better than you, by the way, did everything right, by the way. He didn't threaten and speak evil of. He trusted God. We don't don't fail to judge or dodge judging because people don't need to be judged. Who are you, is the question to judge. You look at the scriptures and decide who you are. Do you trust him who judges justly to take care of this? I want you, through the end of the book, to be thinking of where James is going with your, you might say, your spiritual design. Uh, We were talking the other night at the house. Somebody brought up why women were more pious than men. And we went off on a discussion. So I want you women to think of this in terms of, okay, if we're more pious than men, let's get it right. Let's let's not have to be dumb piety, you know, where you decorate the house. I hope this doesn't offend anybody because I hope nobody does this, but I'll risk it all. With an open Bible. And Leslie told me about this. Good friend of hers. Open Bible, string of pearls across it. That's not piety, by the way. So if, we, if, if you women are thinking, okay, we're going, to be out, we're going to out-pious the men, let's get this right. Let's listen real acutely to what is being said this morning about piety. And men, because you're not as pious as women, pay attention, for heaven's sake. Listen to what God wants of you. You're supposed to not demonstrate piety by making judgments on other people. Speaking against a brother, judging his brother, that sets you up as if you were somebody. You are not. Oh, in case you're wondering where you are, come now, verse 13, you who say. He's just following right along. This thought is going on. You can't get in the fights, and you can't be complaining about people and, and thinking bad of them and judging them. Come now, you who say. Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and get gain whereas you do not know about tomorrow what is your life first off who are you second what is your life for you are a mist (laughs) because you kind of think you know guys especially you think well of yourselves you got this God doesn't need to step in I, I got this I know what I'm doing You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. How does that vortex of infinite perspective in Douglas Adams show you the size of you in regard to reality? You're not much. You're not the judge. Your passions don't matter quit thinking you're something when you are not. You are not the judge of these people. God is the judge. They Jesus Christ going to the cross for your sins getting unrighteously dealt with didn't presume to judge. Michael the Archangel contending with the devil over the body of Moses did not presume to pronounce a reviling judgment on the devil. Jesus didn't presume to make judgment. Michael didn't presume to make judgment about Satan. But said, the Lord rebuke you. It is God's to judge. He is the guide to all moral standings anyway. Our piety, our piety is in him. There was a a line, what number is the uh, Jesus, Thy Blood and Righteousness, to what? 17. To 17. The first verse, I was. it went by as I was noticing that convoluted poetic line, but what a line. Jesus, Thy Blood and Righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress, midst flaming worlds, in these arrayed with joy I shall lift up my head. Now he's basically saying, "I am dressed in Christ's righteousness. That, um, you know, amidst the stars, amidst gaseous bodies of flame, he is going to stand dressed in that righteousness. In that way, he can with joy lift up his head. Our righteousness, our judge, our godliness is our Lord. Sometimes, because we designed a bunch of, you know, we have groups where we have." Uh, a pursuit of holiness, we start to go around with the holiness, you know, Geiger counter, checking others. We want to be, care- we want to mean, care- James is caring about our righteousness, but he wants you to define it differently than you have. So don't think that your passions matter here. You're not the judge. You don't get to pursue your own passions your life doesn't even matter okay you will have, God willing today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and get gain whereas you do not know about tomorrow remember the mist verse 15 instead you ought to say if the Lord wills we shall live and we shall do this or that This is not a judgment of a place in life that you may be. You may have a business trip next week to Guatemala. So be it. Are you designing and in charge of your life? Is God designing it? in charge of your life? Have you placed you in a certain position? Are you always in pursuit of a certain position where you have to push certain people down by your judgments or the fights you have with them to seize your own, to have your ambition? Or does God walk before you, granting you all the goodness of life? A good paycheck, an honest day's work, friends, Is God placing you, or are you placing you? As it is, you boast in your arrogance. I don't know if you ever thought that, that when you don't say and mean, God willing, that you are boasting in arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Whoever knows what is right to do, and fails to do it, For him it is said. He has, through the early part of James 4, about what you should not be motivated by, and letting you know that certain things that you dress up as allowable expressions of Christian, you know, malicious piety, passive-aggressive Christianity, you don't know who you are. And now you know, James has told you, James, the brother of Jesus Christ, you know. I always, for the last I don't know how many years of my life, my presence nationally has always been Evan Wilson, Doug Wilson's brother. Okay? Now before that it was Evan Wilson, Jim Wilson's second son. I I'm always it's never Jesus' brother, Evan Wilson. But James has Jesus' brother. And he's telling you. He's the bishop of Jerusalem. Martyred for the faith. He knows what he's about. He remembers his brother's teaching. Do you know what's right to do? I want you to be thinking about this because there are so many things wrong. Remember, it's in our relationships with people. You'd have a hard time being wicked if you were the only person in the world. Think about, what could I do that would be wicked? Suicide. That'd be it. You have to wrong other people. That's why it tells you in the New Covenant that loving your neighbor as yourself, loving your God, loving your neighbor as yourself, in those things all the law and the prophets are fulfilled. Everything. All law completed in loving your neighbor as yourself because it's relationship kindness, relationship good. So if you want this, and you notice that your relationships are not what they ought to be before Jesus Christ, this is what you ought to be listening to. Do you know what is right to do? And he goes on, because we don't. We we don't figure it out so quickly. He said in verse 13, Come now, you who say. He walked out of these things that we get into tussles with others, we complain about others, we speak ill of others, and he says, Okay, you obviously don't know who you are. Come now, you who say. You're a mist. You're a morning mist. You're not even a great C.S. Lewis, you know, gray day in November. It lasts all day and the fog just gets thicker. You're one of those, you know, spring mists that by... 9.30 9.30 is burned off. You're nobody. Come now. And he uses the same phrase. Come now you who say, verse 13, five, one. Come now you rich. Because where do we go? We've got this. We've got this worked out. We know how to live life, we think. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted and their rust will be evident against you and will eat your flesh like this is not very pleasant. And all of us, he said, Oh boy, I'm glad. you are all filthy rich. We were sitting in the library a couple nights ago and Peter Escalante got a text from an ex-student in China, and the church that this ex-student was going to in China, the government was arresting everybody in the church. And he had a choice yesterday whether he was going to go to church on Sunday because you're going to go to a Chinese jail. (laughs) This is a... um, a Reformed church, in, a successful Reformed church in China. And we were sitting there in my library on comfy seats knowing that, I don't know if I'm going to go to church tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Why? But I, I just don't know. We have this sort of it fits like good pajamas our Christianity in this country. All this freedom, all this provision, nothing threatened. The water's not even going to get shut off. You're going to have heat. You're going to have food. You're going to have a choice of churches that are brought beneficial in this town. So we prayed. We prayed for this church. And then we, that we had thought about the Thanksgiving that we had. We're all rich, is what I'm saying. We live in a rich country. Free country, rich country. More than we know what to do with. You have to measure not whether you're these rich. The rust of your gold and silver. I like watching the gold and silver commercials. What are some of the names of them? Um, Lear Capital. What's the one that that has uh, the actor? Um, Oh wow. They talk about gold like it was really special. And it isn't, it's just soft metal. You know, m- women will go, oh, jewels, worthless pieces of sparkling stone that you have, you know, you have agreed with each other is going to be valuable. That it is not. And men go, going, oh, women, jewelry, gold. I have a softy metal, a kind of a Play-Doh that's gold colored that I could make things out of. And I'll tell other people that this rock is valuable. You have laid up treasure for the last days. You have laid up treasure for the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Because money became the measure of your importance, it was the answer. It's a medium of exchange, right? You have a $20 bill, you've got $20 worth of widgets there. Whatever you want to buy. Remember when you were a kid and you couldn't think of anything for money other than how many pieces of gum? Because it was a medium of exchange. I have a what, dollar. What can you get for a dollar gum-wise? Back in the 50s, there were 300,000 pieces of gum. You had a penny gum machine. That's a hundred pieces of gum for a dollar. And you couldn't imagine that degree of wealth. Well, that's because just like when you fight and wage war and you ask and do not receive, we find out, okay, if you won't let me fight, let me complain. Well, you won't let me complain, let me at least work hard and buy my way to happiness. You've laid up treasure for the last days. Behold, you've been a fraud. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have killed the righteous man. He does not resist you. Now, I have here on the side, Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Too often, too often, Part of your relationship problem is over who has the money. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition kick in, and you go to war. Or you just complain because you're this is remember you women are more pious than men. Don't think it's pious for you to remind your husband how his responsibility is to keep you buried in jewelry. Or groceries, if you prefer groceries. Or to make you feel secure about the Vista bill being paid. That's not how it works. You're not, if you're always looking for answers in money, you're laying up treasures on earth. And if you're gonna let that kill your relationship, if you're a kid and you look at your parents and you heard that so-and-so has an allowance of $20 a week and you have an allowance of a dollar, you're starting to look at your parents through narrowed eyelids, who are these people ripping off me for doing nothing? We are, we're doing these things. We, we, we add these things up. A woman knows that her anxieties... She's looking at the bills, she's looking at the checkbook, and the husband, the bohunkest that he is, is out on the deck, you know, humming to himself because he doesn't care. That doesn't add up. Let's be unrighteous about it, shall we? Let's make it ruin our marriages, shall we? Now, quit being the person who thinks that money. If you can't complain and you can't go get in a fight, let's, make, let's monetize everything. Well, what does he say instead? I mean, is, if our sins are resting here in these relationships, that our own lusts, our own ambitions, our own jealousies, our own th- where we think the answer is if I complain enough about someone's ungodliness, I will be viewed as godly. If I have enough money, it won't matter. Instead, where does our righteousness rest? Verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren. Be patient. I've actually been in arguments with Christians that that's a bad advice. What do you mean? Aren't you responsible? Don't you believe Christians should do something? Oh, light up, Francis. Be patient. Because of this, be patient. The world is filled with wicked people, all of them following their jealousy and their ambition. All of them monetizing their happiness. All of them measuring by their standards of righteousness what is good, what is bad, not leaving it to God, who can both save and destroy, by the way. So where are you? Join in? Have the Christian church look just like the world? Oddly enough, we're worried about what hair color the girl has, not whether or not let me let me put it this way. I get counseling about a number of things, usually icky moral stuff. I have never had someone come to me and say, Evan, I have a problem with greed. It doesn't ever happen. We've disguised it so well, we want to imitate the world so much in that one. We don't mind that. matter of fact, we all rejoice when Christians end up in the driver's seat economically. Well, it's not wrong to be in the driver's seat economically. God may give you that. We're talking about people who that's who they think they must be and become. Either if I can't become it, I will be jealous about those who did become it. I'll fight and wage war. We're supposed to be patient until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient over it till it receives the early <coughs> and the late rain. You also be patient. Okay? In case you're missing the point. Don't do it this way. Don't be about yourself. Don't be insistent. Don't be knocking other people down on pious issues. Don't be monetizing your happiness. Be patient. Like a farmer's patient. In case you missed that, he has to wait. So you be patient too. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble, brethren. That's why my father taught me years ago that whenever we said, I waited for you patiently, it meant I waited for you impatiently. We turned the claim of righteousness into a violation of the second instruction about grumbling because we did not only did it impatiently, we had to comment on having done it impatiently. Do you realize how much of your life is built on comments that you shouldn't be making? Have you ever talked to someone that you knew as a dear, dear Christian friend, and they started speaking of situations in a way that showed that they weren't successfully disguising their impiety? They were really, really bitter. They were really... Annoyed with something, but they were trying to, they wanted to get it across, and so they said, I waited for them patiently for two days. No, you didn't. You're told to be patient. If you had been patient, you wouldn't have brought it up. You wouldn't want everybody else to know. You wouldn't want to announce that your vice was actually a virtue and you wanted to be recognized for that virtue. Do not grumble, brethren, against one another, that you may not be judged. Remember, you're not the judge, back in chapter 4. God is the judge. Now, if you get these things resolved, godliness, and I've told this to many, like, husbands who have come to me because, let's just say, their wife is less than a joy It rhymes with something. I don't know what. And they want to know what to do, because there's no way, there's no way with that kind of wife, you're going to say anything about that that says, honey, have you ever considered that you're overreacting? Oh, sure, they'll They'll go, yeah, you were right, honey. I was overreacting. Please lead me to repentance. They'll unload on you. The best thing you can do for every one of us in, when we're wandering from the way we should live our Christian life is to reintroduce them to what our relationship with Christ is. He is our God. You are not our God. He is our God. You are not our God. Does Jesus Christ want you to be this way? Does Jesus Christ, if they get reintroduced to God, and I point people back to that hideous strength, where Jane Studdick doesn't get told to go behave with her husband a certain way, because that's how good people do it. She gets introduced to God. Bring people to God. Let, if you know, if you say you believe, you believe he is the judge of the living and the dead. He is the judge of you. You are not the judge. You should be suddenly humbled. If you're a difficult wife, you should be on your knees crying, not for your husband's forgiveness, but for your God's forgiveness. If you're some pompous husband who thinks you've got everything under control and you haven't designed anything well at all, nobody in the world does, realize the judge is at the door. This is an example of suffering and patience. Brother, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we call those happy who were steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. What do you believe about your God? Lead your spouse, lead your kids back to who God is. Do they believe it? You'll find out if they believe it, but whether or not they're complaining about other people all the time. You'll find out whether they believe it and whether or not they're in fights all the time with other people. You're going to find out whether they believe it, whether or not they think some form of monetization is their path to security and happiness. You know God is compassionate and merciful, right? You notice that we can wait on him regardless. I don't have... What's this suggesting that you be patient and that you not grumble, right? Right? And establish your hearts this way and be steadfast this way. Be patient and do not grumble steadfastly. Hang on to this. Wait the long wait. That means, that means it doesn't have to be fixed. You don't have to fix it. You're not in charge. Jesus Christ is in charge of you. Remember a few weeks ago I mentioned that God is trying to make his religion in you. Not you trying to offer a religion to him. Let him make his religion in you. And then above all, verse 12, above all. Because it's it's pulling everything out from under us that we would say, we are good enough, better, better than others, we can do this. Taking that, above all my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, that you may not fall under condemnation. He's almost directly quoting Jesus Christ here. Matthew 5, it's on the side. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God or by the earth for it is his footstool or by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king and do not swear by your head for you cannot make one hair white or black let what you say be simply yes or no anything more than this comes from evil Jesus Christ told you it's evil to back up your word your word shouldn't need to be backed up If you think it needs to be backed up, there's probably some evil there. If others think your word needs to be backed up, there's probably some evil there. It comes from evil. It comes from evil, and then it brings you into judgment. You'd fall under condemnation if I don't have my yes be yes and my no be no. We can't dodge this need to be absolutely you might say, connected to who we really are, and not have to dress it up in more money, and more success, or more complaint about failure. But This is kind of a double, I make this point, it's a double cross-reference. The Matthew 5 passage, when he talks about the heavens, the footstool business, um, is Isaiah 66, see if I can find it real quick. It's somewhere here in the Old Testament. It's easy because Isaiah is 66 chapters long. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. See where it comes from? Where it's his throne and his footstool. You ought to swear by it. What is the house which you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things are mine. They all belong to God. You can't get Swear, you don't get to bring them in as witnesses to your, you know, piety. All these things are one, says the Lord. But this is the man to whom I will look, he that is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Remember that part. Because that's what James has been doing in this book, right? Last week at the end of the passage he was telling us to just almost be broken. I hate to use that term, but this Th- that we that we stop handing ourselves. Why don't you drive, Evan? Okay, I'll drive. We love that, right? The man and the remote. I have the remote. I'm the I'm the king of my castle. I have the remote. And I can change the channel. Honey, if you need anything done, I'm here with the remote. I have the driving allowance. He wants us to be more humble than we are. He wants us to be patient. He wants us to put up with things. wants us to not make judgments of people. We're not insisting on us and our way and it being remedied for our sake. It doesn't have to be remedied. The Lord put up with, Job put up with, the prophets put up with, those were the happiest who were the steadfast. So how do we live? 13. Is anyone among you suffering? let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed basically your life is to stand before him no matter what the circumstance you have need pray have you got an answer praise there you go my work here is done just like you're told to be patient this is all referencing him Now, I don't think you know Christians often turn to this sort of thing for what do we do when somebody's really sick I My personal thought is the word sick here is not, it's the word weak, it is used in other passages. I think I have one here that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. That word weary is the same word as sick here in James. So I think it's about spiritual struggles that the elders come pray for you regarding. But when we are in our struggles, we have a different approach. We should know who we are, we should know who we're not. We are a mist. Your money isn't going to change much. Enjoy it while you got it. But it's not the answer. Neither is having your way and having people obey your moral code. Be patient. Don't grumble. Pray. Praise. Prayer is really, you standing before God is really the answer. Prayer of a righteous man, it's in red. The prayer of a righteous man has great power in its effects. Elijah was a man of like nature with ourselves, and he prayed fervently. The horde is returning. The horde is going back. Elijah was a man of like nature with ourselves, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth its fruit. It's letting you know that this answer of James, of how you should live, works. He told you the steadfastness and the patience work for all the prophets. They were happy. Their world was bad, and they probably got killed, but they were happy because they were steadfast. You will get answers if you pray, because, I mean, talk about deeper walk. There is not deeper walk than Elijah. I mean he's Tim the magician. I mean he can he can call fire down from heaven. He didn't die. Okay? You want to be one of those? He prayed. He trusted. He waited. He prayed both directions. Stop the rain, started the rain. And he was a man of like passions. So this is not some situation that if only you can get to be like Elijah, well, you already are like Elijah. You just have chosen to live by your passions, not by the instruction of the word of God. And it says here at the end, kind of an odd ending, my brethren, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Good piece of advice. Go after each other and try to lead them back to God. But here is the thing. You have just been told where being back with God is. You have to have it settled in your life because you don't correct a brother unless you're already spiritual. So this has to be your way of thinking. You have to be patient, steadfast, not out to change the world because of its wickedness. You're out to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and you want to help someone else. A friend of yours who's struggling with submission to her husband, or a man who is being just difficult all around, because men can be. Do they know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they wait on him to judge? Are they patient? Are they... Grateful. Are they not grumbling? Are they praising God? How do you design the spirituality you lead people back to? Have it be what he wants. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. We're very grateful for your grace and we're grateful for the path to actual righteousness that we are able to enjoy. Keep us from replacing it with pretend righteousness or earthly ambition or fighting with one another for our own way. Thank you for the patience. Thank you for all the good you've given us. In your Son's name, amen.